For years, we have dwelt in the shadows, applying our skills and knowledge in secret, speaking our truth to all who would listen, applying our trade for those in need. Now, it is time to emerge into the light, wipe our eyes of dust, and venture forth into the world. Make ourselves known and invite all who seek our secret knowledge to work and learn with us. Welcome, fellow friends and seekers, to the Secret Society of the Instructional Designer. Travel with us auditorially as we explore the work and practice of our humble society. In this episode, I sit down with my good friend, Karen Costa, who shares all about learning experience design, why we need empathy in the field, and so much more. Enjoy! Karen Costa, thank you so much for joining us today. First question that I have for you and all our guests, uh, tell us about yourself. Hi, Clea. The first thing I want to say is that Clea and I met on Twitter. We did back when it was called that. (laughs) That's what I still call it. And uh, yeah, I think I'm still there. I'm going to go down with the ship and, uh, but I've been thinking about all the people. I think a lot of the folks who are some of the folks who've gone and who are still there are thinking about all the people we've met there and the relationships. And um, I just like to share that because we've never met on site, which is what I say now. Um, But I'm just so glad that you're in my life. So um, I'll start by saying that I'm, one of Clea's friends to introduce myself. That's important. Uh, Very much. Uh, You're already jumping ahead to the second question, which was, (laughs) how do we know each other? And and you're right. It was through Twitter. Um, I remember that I posted something about educational technology and you chimed in and immediately I was just like, I like this lady's vibes. I want to be friends with her, but I'm a little bit too intimidated because she's like a famous teacher, author, educator. Um, And then we became friends. (laughs) I don't know about any of that, but I remember that I liked your vibes as well. And that I liked that you were sharing, I think it was sharing content about what you were doing with faculty in live sessions to teach them different strategies to support their students. And I loved that you were carefully considering that and that you wanted to make that experience fun. And I think that's something that we've connected on. So uh, I do work in higher ed. Uh, One of my roles is faculty development facilitator. That's what I use sometimes. I say other things other times. Um, Teach as an adjunct and um, I'm a writer in higher ed. And I really do think a lot about how to create positive, fun, supportive learning experiences. And I know that's something I've seen in you as well. So that's that's what I do, and that's how we connected. I'm a, I'm psychic as well, and knew that you were going to ask that second question. Yes, it is true. Karen is psychic, <laughs> and uh, she is also good vibes. Absolutely, I'm so glad we're friends. <laughs> yes. So I would love to know, and you probably told me this already, um, but share with everyone listening, which is five of us and our mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> what brought you to the field of instructional design? So I'm, uh, 
Yes, I understand that this is the secret society of instructional designers. I don't know. Am I now in that society? Have I been admitted? You are. This is, a, okay. this is your initiation. I mean, if we make it to the end of the interview, then that means I'm you in. Pass. Okay. I've never been in a secret society before. So I don't, I, yeah, I am um, not always a big joiner. And, and I do want to say that you don't have to be an instructional designer to be in the secret society. So, you know, I know that your title might not be instructional designer, but what got you curious about the the art and science of designing instruction? <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, I, I'm and I think maybe we can talk a little bit about that because that's not a title that I've used or or held, but certainly I design lots of learning experiences and have for maybe 20 years or so. Um, so I I started out in higher ed thinking about how can I design this college course that I'm about to teach in 2006 for my college students in a way that um, recognizes who they are, their challenges, that empathizes with their experiences, and that makes this really fun and interesting and engaging. And I think the reason I approached it from that point of view is because I didn't know this at the time, but I've had ADHD my whole life <laughs> and got diagnosed at 40. But, um, you know, even 20 years ago, I was thinking about like, how, how can I make this interesting? Because for me, boredom is excruciating. And um, I didn't call it, a, I didn't call it instructional design. I didn't call it learning experience design, but I definitely was doing those things. Um, for me, I now tend to use the, the phrase um, learning experience design or learning experience designer more than instructional design. Um, there's certainly a lot of overlap between the two. For me, the difference is that LXD focuses more on that empathy piece, which has always been how I connected to this work in that I think I have a strength in being able to ask what are my learners feeling? What do they need? And how can I create an amazing learning experience for them based on that? And increasingly now I also ask faculty, what do you need to be a good teacher? Um, what do you, you know, how can you approach this design challenge in that you're not only empathizing with your students, but with yourself? So I got into this work because I'm curious. That's a big part of the ADHD thing as well. I love to learn. It's probably like my favorite thing to do. I get tons of ideas. I'm incredibly curious. And I have had a lot of, I have that like relationship to boredom where I don't want to inflict that on anyone. So I believe in learning and I believe learning is inherently fun and amazing. And I want to create amazing learning experiences for people. So primarily now I work with, I do teach as an adjunct, but I also work with a lot of faculty and a lot, this is back to why we became friends. A lot of faculty learning experiences are dreadfully boring and people being, you know, having slides read to them and just their, their humanity and their need for engagement is not addressed. So I really focus now on faculty and I want to help create fun, supportive, amazing learning experiences for faculty. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you do that because, you know, we need to model what we want our faculty to do well, right? Which means asking how they're feeling, showing care towards them, not just lecturing at them by reading slides that have these same exact words on the screen <laughs> as those yeah. that are coming out of your mouth. You know, I, I I got so frustrated with that back in the day, and I remember you and I connecting over that. So really love that you're focusing on the whole experience 
I also prefer that term learning experience design because, you know, we can give people as much instruction as mm-hmm. we can possibly carry, like think about that heavy load of instruction, but we also have to think about who they're showing up as, as a person. Are they open to learning? How can we activate their prior knowledge? All that good stuff that you and I have worked on in the past. Right. And I think for for the faculty experience piece, we, you know, one of the things I want to do is help people realize that the experience of the person teaching it influences the experience of the learner who's learning it. So if faculty are trying to do too much with too little, and, you know, we're talking a lot in higher ed about faculty burnout and mental health, um, that is going to feed into the experience that the learners have. So I ta- I like to talk about faculty success and the faculty experience as worthy in its own right. Faculty are human beings. Um, it's worthy in its own right. And it's also going to influence the student experience. So, you know, the short version of that is happy teachers, happy learners. Um, so I really want to be somebody who's a voice to to remind us of the instructor or the teacher or the faculty in these learning experiences and that when we can help them find that that space where they're having fun and they're getting to express themselves and they're being creative and they're not feeling completely overwhelmed, that's going to benefit everybody. Yeah, fully agree. Um, and you've already started to hint a little bit at the next question that I want to ask you. I told you I'm psychic. Um, <laughs> but you can focus on something <laughs> else or focus on like one example. The question is, what do you love most about the field? And this time I'll rephrase it to the field of learning experience design. The word coming into my brain is empathy. Um, I think that many of us have it's a it's a double-sided coin. <laughs> Many of us, uh, perhaps a lot of us who identify as neurodivergent, have oppor- an opportunity to be mindful that sometimes our empathy um, can bring us into unhelpful or unhealthy places when we are too empathetic and too, if, if that boundary between us and other people is too blurry, it can it can do harm to us and to others. Um, however, it's also a really wonderful gift to have that sense of being able to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes and to, you know, wonder about what's the, what, what is this experience going to be like for that student or for that faculty? So I think for me, I really love that learning experience design is a place where my empathy done mindfully um, can be a talent um, because there's definitely a lot of many parts of my life that where it's, it hasn't been an asset. So learning to get sort of in right relationship with my empathy um, and have healthy boundaries and for myself um, primarily is, has been a quite a journey. And this has been a spot where I can learn to practice healthy empathy and sit down and design that learning experience and get really creative and imaginative about what does what do these learners need and want and what's the context in which they're learning. Um, and like one of my recent, um, what do I want to call it, endeavors, uh, mysteries, experiences is this climate action pedagogy uh, work that I've started to do. And that really came out of like, what are people feeling right now? And what are people needing? And what is this moment in time calling for? And then designing this workshop and this course and these offerings came out of that. So I think 
being able to get in touch with empathy for myself and for other people and to do it mindfully and in a very well boundaried way has been part of my work, but it also connects back to that sort of life journey that I'm on as a person. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I, that resonates so much with me. Empathy is one of my top, top five traits. I took oh. that strengths finder assessment recently. Yep. <laughs> Learner is also in there. Um, and then like a bunch of other synonyms that are basically, okay, this person is obsessed with learning. <laughs> so I'm in the right yep. job. Yep. That's um, me too. I always get, I took one and it was, I was called the maven and the maven was to represent like the person who's just, who loves and loves to learn. Um, and that's always a top one for me. And I'm not surprised that empathy is high for you because one of the things I learned from you is you do such a good job of turning over control in in a classroom or in a learning experience and letting your learners try things and really feeling like what is somebody who wants to learn like how to use their phone in Zoom or whatever? What are they feeling? And you step into that and give them a chance to test it out in such a positive way. I That is an area that I need to work on because I get a little more scared to let go of control. And you have challenged me to do that. Like when you made me try Flipgrid. Oh, I'm still in, scared. Like in as one I'm of our courses. learners do stuff. I'm like, uh, uh, are they going to do okay? Should I interrupt them now? Should I yeah. show them where to click next? But yeah. It, but you're better at hiding it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, and so you have done a lot already. Before I ask you the next question, I do wonder if you'd like to share more with us about the climate pedagogy stuff that you've been working on. Um, yeah. It's wonderful. I think, you know, we often just blow past that stuff like, oh, there's too much terrible stuff going on and we can't possibly change it. So, you know, let's just keep scrolling or work on this new technology, da, da, da. Uh, yeah. Share more about the climate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for asking me about that. That's one of my major areas of focus right now. Um, it's for myself, for my own well-being. It helps me to feel less anxious about everything that's going on in the world. Um, it helps me feel less fearful about the future. It helps me to stay in the present moment and focus on what I can do. Um, I think your your what you just said about overwhelm with with anything related to the climate is very human of us. And I know that's kind of where I started designing this project from was a feeling of I basically showed up to therapy and said to my therapist, like, I can either be delusional or, um, you know, hopeless. Which one should I choose? And she was like, let's find a third option. Um, and it was like, basically, that led me to ask the question, what can I do where I already where I'm already working? What can I do where I already am? So one of the things I. Yeah. It's this is and I have I, I've, I'm sober and I've got like spent time in 12 step programs. And one of the things I learned and heard in meetings was keep your head where your feet are. And that I think is how I approach this. So my feet are in uh, faculty development and higher education. So rather than my head taking me to like, I need to go like to, I don't know, like halfway around the world to protest this particular climate issue, or I need to go here to do this type of work in the climate, or I need to be a climate scientist or a climate expert, or I need to do X, Y, and Z, S bring your head back to where your feet are. And where are you now? 
and wherever you are now, one of the sayings from the climate action field is all jobs are climate jobs. And one of the things I want to start putting out in higher ed is all courses are climate courses. So helping people, I don't care if you teach English, math, science, psychology, graphic design, manufacturing, whatever, there is a connection to the climate um, in your work. And there is a way that you can weave that into your existing courses. You're not, you're not teaching a climate action course. You're still teaching an English course, but you can make those connections more clear with your students. And my vision is that all courses have climate action content in them. And then, you know, when I imagine that possibility, which feels like a very real possibility to me, um, that's, that's how we start changing things. Um, so, We've had, I've run, I'm I'm running this um, primarily through One Higher Ed. We have a self-paced online course. And then also we've been running live workshops. We've already done two. We've had about a hundred folks sign up for each of the live workshops already, um, which has been a really good turnout. And we've got a third one, um, which I can have you put in the show notes. We have a registration open for a third workshop in January already. So Um, There's a lot of interest. The faculty who come, I think the last thing I want to say, I could talk about this for eons, but faculty who come to these workshops, you know, I check in multiple times. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? And what by the end, people are saying, I feel better. I feel inspired. I feel motivated. I feel excited. And that to me is like, you know, to get people to go from feeling anxious and completely overwhelmed and like numb and like, I don't even know what what to do and saying, I actually feel excited about doing this is, feels really, really important. So back to that idea of making things fun and engaging and meeting people where they are, that's how I've designed this to not overwhelm and terrify anybody, but to help us feel um, like we're we're in this together and that there, again, there's right where my feet are. There is something that I can do, um, has seemed to be working. So that's, that's the climate action pedagogy cap in a nutshell. That's awesome. And yeah, we'll definitely include that resource to the upcoming session in the show notes. Um, I would like to sign up myself because just that one phrase is really sticking with me you know, bring your head back to where your feet are. Oh yeah. Definitely. I have a picture (laughs) of my feet in my, like in my room next to one of my sort of calm spaces. So I recommend that to people. Um, And yeah, I'm glad you said that because, so this is for everybody in higher education and really education period. So this is for K through 12 educators, faculty, staff, instructional designers, Whoever you are, I'm, you know, this is my philosophy as a teacher and the course, the workshop's been designed this way to meet you where you are and help you figure out what your next step can be a really small next step. Um, And I just remind people like you can come and listen, you can come and do some design work. There are no forced breakout rooms. You and I have done a lot of work on breakout rooms. There's no forced breakout rooms. So you can come and just listen. You can, we do offer optional breakout rooms if you love them. Whoever you are working in education, you're welcome. It's a free workshop and um, we'd love to have have everybody there. Yeah, thanks so much. And I love how you wove in so many, you know, instructional design or learning science or just andragogy principles in there, like you're making it accessible to our learners, you're looking for ways to excite them, and you're also making it very relevant to, you know, who we are and what's going on in the world. So that that seems very empowering to me. Thank you. Yeah, 
I, uh, those, I didn't use the fancy terms because y'all know I'm anti-fancy, but you, you, you did the (laughs) fancy terms for me well. So I'm, yes, that's all of the things I'm doing. (laughs) Yes. Just naming the fancy jargon, which was another thing that you and I bonded over. We're like, ugh, why is, why is it like this? Like we're trying to make learning accessible to people and then we're just throwing jargon in their faces. So I often need that, that gut check and that bringing it back down to, to human language. So I'm going to ask you the next question. Uh, What is your favorite idea that you haven't gotten to do yet? You've already done a whole lot. You've written one amazing book that is always like, I know exactly where it is on which of the many bookshelves of my house. Um, I think it was 99 tips for instructional videos. It's behind me in case I forget 99 tips for creating simple and sustainable educational videos. Yeah. Yeah. Simple and sustainable. Um, yeah, the book is the book I wrote is really about mutualism, which and faculty success and then, you know, but kind of hidden within, but come on and learn to make videos. Um, yeah. So my next, my next idea, I'm actually, I, this hasn't been brought into fruition yet. I have, uh, I have the online course through one higher ed and I have an online course that I designed uh, with our friends at OLT Faculty Development, uh, Judith and Melissa, um, which has been phased out. So I brought the course that I designed with them, Trauma Fundamentals for Higher Educators, into Teachable. And it's a short course for higher educators to learn about trauma and its impacts on teaching and learning. Um, I want to expand that space out to hold lots of other self-paced online courses for higher educators that are short, clear, simple, fun, engaging, supportive. Um, And I have this vision of sort of this little school of these anti-fancy fun courses that are very relevant to the needs of today's faculty. Um, And it's, it's in, it's in progress. Um, It's uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's all mine. So I don't have that external, you know, nudge or structure to get it done. So I have to provide that for myself. Um, so I am, I started this week. So the first course I want to put forward for folks is a course on how to take and succeed in a self-paced online course kind of meta. Um, Very because helpful, yeah. yeah, we're not taught that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was just tweeting about this, but Basically, I so I don't know why, but I'm pretty good at completing self-paced online courses, which traditionally have ex- like very low completion rates. So I'm sure a lot of people listening have signed up for a MOOC or another self-paced online course. There's more in the past three years than ever before. Oh my gosh, I want to learn, t- you know, this this skill or this strategy. Um, you can take courses on LinkedIn and Skillshare and all kinds of places, and then just never done it or maybe spent like five minutes looking it over and then never went back to it. So I want to put together a course to help people learn how to approach these self-paced online courses, because if, you know, it's very common that folks don't finish them, but I think there's some strategies that can be helpful. And for some reason I'm good at it. I don't know why I shouldn't be. Well, you know, the thing is with ADHD, there's a stereotype that there's, you know, we don't finish things. Um, but I think like the flip side of that is sometimes ADHDers are like the most thoughtful people about how the strategies that they need to finish things because we've kind of 
forced ourselves or, or been forced to learn those strategies. So maybe we're actually the experts at finishing things. I don't know, but I've developed these strategies and habits and t- I take a lot of self-paced online courses and I, I do, I finish them. So I'm going to put together a course. I'm doing that, working on that now. And then from there, I want to roll out more self-paced courses related to teaching and learning um, that folks can access in a really accessible way at their own pace, at their own time, make them affordable, make them fun um, and put those out there. So that's, that's next with an asterisk because it's uh, one of those things that I don't have like a hard deadline for that. But I mean, I can give myself one, but I, it's easy to talk myself out of it. So I'm, I'm progressing and hope to have that, some of those things out to people this fall. That's awesome. And I look forward to that course very much. Um, I'm a great starter and a not great completer. Mm-hmm. I'll get really excited and, you know, give it my best for 10 minutes or even 10 days. And then it's like, swoop, nope, there's something new and shiny. Absolutely. And I don't think there's, you know, I think there's different types of energies in the world and different types of energies in us. And I think starting energy is a really important energy and finishing energy is a really important energy. And then you need the people who kind of stir the pot in the middle. So I like to think of a future uh, where those energies are all respected and balanced and, you know, partnering people who are great starters with the mixers and the finishers would be a lovely way to think about teams where everybody's strengths are honored. So for me, I've had to learn to like set both celebrate that trait in myself that I'm a great starter and then just get curious about, okay, when I don't finish things, how does that feel? When I do finish things, how does that feel? It feels really good to finish things I've learned. Um, I just took a course on biomimicry, a self-paced online course, which is a climate related learning from the natural world. And, um, the website I think is learn biomimicry for folks who are interested. And it was a three-part course and it, it took a while and definitely in the middle, it got muddy, but I wanted to get to that feeling of finishing it because that does feel really good. So I think we can, we can honor all of those feelings and all of those strengths. Um, I'm definitely a starter, but, but finishing once in a while (laughs) feels good too. Yeah. I love those bonus tips. Definitely going to listen back to those and, and see which ones I can implement. Um, so the penultimate question that I'm going to ask you, because the last one comes from our famous tradition. I love that word, penultimate. It's such <laughs> a too. great word. I really it just reminds wanna... me of the of Beverly Hills 90210 because one of the best episodes of Beverly Hills 90210 was the penultimate episode. So I never have forgotten what that word means because I thought it was actually better than the finale. Anyway, okay, sidetrack. Taking us back. Okay, <laughs> penultimate <laughs> question, because the final one comes from the question hat, and we don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be very exciting. Um, is what needs to change about the field, learning experience, design? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, think- so much, but <laughs> pick your favorite. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re- come back to this and I'm going to repeat what I shared earlier. All jobs are climate jobs. All courses are climate courses. So if you are an instructional, I don't care what you call yourself. I, I really, I don't, I can't remember people's titles. <laughs> the reason I'm not hierarchical is because I can't remember titles because of probably in part because my ADHD. So I don't, I don't care much about titles, but whether you call yourself an instructional designer, learning experience designer, faculty, whatever, all jobs are climate jobs. And, uh, you know, I think what we're seeing, um, in happening in our world is, is really scary and it really is happening. 
Um, and I also think there's a lot of things we can do to improve our circumstances. So I would love to see all instructional designers and or learning experience designers start to think of what can I do? Uh, what climate action can I take in my field right now? Um, come to my workshop, go to somebody else's workshop, read a book about it. There's lots of ways to access that information. And I, I want instruction. Like, I want to, here's an example. The one higher ed instructional designer um, that we worked with, Dasha, is an amazing instructional designer. She helped me put the climate action course together. And I said to her, Dasha, like, I want to say to you, you, you helping me put this course together is climate action, right? And she was a part of that as an instructional designer at, who's not a climate scientist who might not think of herself as a climate activist, but she helping me design the course um, was taking climate action. So starting to talk to your faculty about how might you weave climate action into your courses or, or starting to weave that into, for those who are more in corporate and training, where does climate, where can we fit climate action into this? Because we have to, we absolutely have to, nothing else, uh, nothing else can happen if we're not, you know, taking care of our, our species and our planet and all life on this planet. So all jobs are climate jobs. And I, I would like to see that change that, you know, folks, I, w I want to see folks realizing that and making, um, taking action. Yeah, thank you. And I'm already inspired to weave that into one of my current projects, which Do is it. <laughs> developing a course for corporate learners about travel security. Yeah. So, you know, it's things like renewing your passport, et cetera, but it's also looking out for options that, you know, have more renewable resources yes. or that, like hotels that use less water, et cetera. There's, there's Amazing. a lot. Amazing. There's, there's a ton you can do with that. And then, you know, I know you have an incredible network of instructional designers and learning experience designers. I know you're doing like cool, you're more on LinkedIn now than Twitter. I forgive you. Um, but you could then maybe share that with your network and that will get them thinking about ways that they can do that. And this is, this is what we mean when we talk about, so in climate action pedagogy, we use the work of Adrian Marie Brown, emergent strategy, who says small is all. So these, these things that we do uh, don't have to be huge changes. Just what you described might have ripple effects that will be massive over time. Um, little by little, the more of us that keep doing this, it will spread, it will grow. We do it and we do these small actions in community and they will have an impact. So do it. I'm excited. Share it with other people. It will catch on and all, all jobs are climate jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's not my saying. I want to say that. That's <laughs> not my saying. That's, that's just sort of a mantra in the climate action field, but um, I hope all I hope all of us start saying it and using it and all courses are climate courses. All learning is climate learning, whatever, whatever relates to your field and just getting people to think about what they what can you do right where you are. Okay, so oh, do I have to do the hat thing still? You have to do the hat thing. You're trying to sneak past it. Um, um, could you please pick a number between one and 15 for me? 11. 11 is my lucky number. 11. Ooh, okay. I like this one oh, for gosh. you. If you were a professional wrestler, Karen Costa, <laughs> what would your entrance theme song be and why? Oh my gosh. Um, 
I'm going to go with a song that I thought about this morning and I actually ordered these like streamers that you dance with. Do you know what I'm talking about? That like, I don't know, cheerleaders. Like the ribbon and, dancer ones? Yeah, ribbon they're yes. like ribbon dancers. I used I to do to that. I be a when, ribbon dancer when I was a kid. I'm sorry. I okay, had I'm going to gonna say, that's okay. I, <laughs> I, or I had kind of a flash I, when I was a little kid that we had get in shape girl, which was probably very problematic, but I used to play this record and I would dance around my room and I had one of those streamers and it just came to me this morning along with Britney Spears till the world ends, um, which sounds like kind of a negative song, but it's, you know, we're dancing until the world ends. So it's just a reminder to dance and find joy. And I ordered myself, I gave myself a little treat and I ordered those streamers. So I don't know. I, I don't see myself wrestling anybody because I'm kind of a, a pacifist, but I think maybe we could like dance wrestle and um, just yeah. celebrate life and be positive. You're wrestling with difficult concepts all the time. So okay. I, yeah. I think that counts. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to dance, wrestle, teach, learn. Um, and um, that Britney will be my theme song. You right. can't go wrong with Britney Spears as your entrance song. Oh. I don't know that song, so I'm going to look it up after this. But um, there's a lot of you have a lot of homework to do from the session. So, yeah. I mean, not that the question had asked me, but I'm going to share my answer anyway, because okay. ADHD, <laughs> uh, my theme song would be Starship. Nothing is going to stop us now. Uh, excellent choice. Positive. Yeah. And it reminds us of when we were doing uh, camp operation, online learning and cool camp. John, cool. It was like, this is the song I played at faculty meetings. Um, yeah. And that memory has stuck with me since. So one of my favorite songs, and I believe it's from the movie Mannequin, which I I need to force my son to watch. He's 14. And it's it's a classic where the mannequin, I believe, played by Kim Cattrall comes to life in the mall. Something like that. You, you, this is I'm a little bit older than Clea, everybody. So she might not remember that movie, but. Nope. I love that song. It's also got like two parts. So you and I could do it. Yeah. Sweet. That'll be on the part two podcast coming out. Never. Um, so I want to thank I'm you. Game though. Part. Let's what is there such a thing as like a karaoke podcast for higher ed? I would, I would there show up for be. that. There should be. Yeah. I think we should have more fun. We're going to keep more doing fun. It. <laughs> Live life, dance, have fun, take care of each other take action and um, all that good stuff. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us, Karen. Um, final question. Where can folks find you on the internet? Oh boy. This, this used to be a whatever you want to share. <laughs> I am currently as of the time of this recording on the social media site that I continue to call Twitter um, and will continue to call Twitter. Um, I plan to be there. Um, who knows what that's, where that's going. I stay pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, I am on blue sky and Mastodon. I, I don't know exactly why sometimes, um, but I'm trying and, and I've had some nice engagements there. And then um, my website is 100 faculty.com. It's the number 100 faculty.com. And I say, um, there's a contact form there if folks want to reach out. All right. Thanks again. And I will see you online, Karen. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Clea. Thanks for listening. Questions, comments, and secrets of our trade can be sent to secretsocietyotid at gmail.com. That's secretsocietyotid at gmail.com.